Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? We are in a series called Counterculture, and, uh, and the, the idea of this series is to, sh- to basically align ourselves to a biblical mindset that sometimes, most of the time, is counterintuitive to the way of our world. It is counterculture. Really, Jesus' ministry was just that. It was counterculture. It was counter to the Roman Empire at the time, and it was, his way was also counterintuitive to the way of the religious elite of his day. So he didn't fit in any mold. He didn't fit in any side of the aisle at that, in his day and age, which is why ultimately they killed him for the things he said. It was that counterintuitive. It was that counterculture. And we kicked it off last week by asking the question, which I think is an important question, as we start off in this journey, that what is truth? I think we have to know that first that truth does exist, and uh, that truth exists whether you accept it or not. Like, like uh, 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 the earth is round, whether you accept it or not. You can believe it's flat, but it's not, right? It exists. And that the, the absence of truth we know leads to bondage because you should know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So the presence of truth sets us free from bondage, and that is why New Life Church is and always will be a church, church that is founded on, rooted in, and stands upon the truth. And you know the popular saying, the truth hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes the truth hurts. And the scripture calls us to, to, uh, to uh, uh, speak the truth in love, which is a whole lot different than loving to speak the truth. Because people that love to speak the truth just love to be right. They don't care who they hurt with it. But there is a way in this kingdom that is countercultural that, that brings, that highlights the truth in dark places. And it actually heals. Because the truth is not a weapon. The truth is a key a key that sets people free from bondage. And here's what we know. We know that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And so that was last week. If you want to get caught up, maybe if you miss it, you can always get it online, newlife4kokomo.org. All of our messages are archived online there. Uh, Just check in and and get yourself caught up, maybe on your way to work or on your lunch break or, uh, or, or what have you when you mow the lawn or soon when you shovel the snow. I shouldn't say five letter words from the stage. Uh, okay, but today we're going to move forward and talk about a topic that uh, for, for some makes them feel maybe a little uncomfortable, and there will be some uncomfortable discussions throughout this series. Uh, I also want to note that on November 5th, uh, Jenny and I's friend, a missionary that New Life Church supports, Linda Seiler, will be coming. Linda will be sharing her story of how she grew up um, and dealt with gender dysphoria. And her goal was that when she would graduate, she would have a sex change operation and change her name to David. But then God completely set her free from gender dysphoria and freed her from same-sex attraction. And to this day, she is helping people get set free from that as well. She will be with us November 5th and sharing her story about how to have compassion without compromise. So there's going to be some uncomfortable conversations, but when you live in this kingdom that Jesus established that is countercultural, you're going to end up getting uncomfortable. 
because there is a mainstream line that is acceptable that may not fit the kingdom of God, and we are called to the truth, right? And so there is, the, our world, our culture today loves to put people into categories, and then these categories end up having division amongst themselves. And people will, will kind of like, cater to each category and agendas are created and ultimately a divide in, in society based upon different categories. And one of these categories that still to this day continues to be divisive politically, religiously, and in, in our society is the category of race. So this morning we're going to talk about race and, uh, and, and not, not to try to go one way or the other, but we are simply going to say we want to take a biblical stance. Listen, a biblical stance on race. And where did this idea of race come from? Well, well, I remember a song when I was a kid. And I remember we sang it in Sunday school and we would sing it in children's church. And as Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I recently heard that song somewhere, but they left out the red and yellow, black and white. Just that Jesus loves the little children, and he does. What happened to the beautiful version of this song? We live in a world that is so sharply divided, blue and red White versus black and brown. You see, culture always divides us, but the kingdom unites us. So we've got to find the biblical view on these topics, specifically today on the topic of race. We live in a world today where culture automatically puts us into categories, but today I want to challenge us to be countercultural in our approach to race relationships and to live biblically. So biblically speaking, what, how does race, the concept of race, how does that, what is our approach biblically to this? As we know, there's, you know our, our world puts a lot of emphasis on, on different races and being proud about your race, unless maybe you're a certain race. But biblically, I want to uh, let you know that as a church, If we want to be biblical about race, then we believe that there is one race. There is one race. The human race. There's one race. And and, and we don't say that to minimize any other race or to elevate any other race. But simply to say that biblically, as followers of Jesus, we believe in unity and diversity because there is one race. Actually, I will show you here in a minute that the idea of race comes from a secular point of view that is rooted in racism, but not the kingdom, not not in the kingdom that Jesus has called us to. Different races refers to Darwinism. Darwinism's philosophy is inherently racist because Darwinism suggests that there are different races in the world and that these different races evolved at different times, they evolved at different rates, and in different places. Therefore, 
some races have evolved more than others, making one race greater than the other. Therefore, it, it, it gives one race supremacy and one less because they just scientifically didn't evolve at the same time, place, or in the same rate, which is not true and is rooted in racism. Race is also a term to categorize people mainly on their skin color. But are there really, are there really different races? Acts 17, 16 suggests otherwise. This is what it says. From one man, he made all the nations. What, what, who was this one man? From Adam in the garden came all the nations. In Genesis 1, in the story of creation, God made man in his own image and likeness. One man, Adam and Eve, from whom we have all descended from. So from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out, for, out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So, so, now, now, so all people on earth, all people, are descendants of Adam and Eve. We, we can read this in Genesis 1.26. So in other words, when God created Adam in his own image and likeness, God put all the genetic code for all of humanity in that man. If you remember, Adam was, was the purest form of humanity that could ever be known. He was God's kind of like Gen 1. He was the original, he was the OG baby. Like Adam was the original, and God put all of the genetic code that we all share today in Adam. So we can then rightfully come to the conclusion that Adam and Eve were not white, that Adam and Eve were middle brown. They were brown color in skin. And from brown colored skin, and without getting into like the, the big A, big B, little A, little, little B, all that stuff, we, we, we know that we can get every other variation of skin color from the genetic code that was in Adam and Eve. From one man came the nations of the world, okay? Are you, are you, picking, what I, are you picking up what I'm throwing down? Holler at me if you're understanding this so far. He put all the genetic code in Adam, of which we are all now made up of. There is an infinite variety of genetic kind of combinations that have derived over time, but all goes back to Adam. All of the different skin colors, hairlines, you, you name it, all came from Adam. Now, Adam and Eve multiplied. So the genetic code began to take on different variations in different forms. And then after Adam and Eve's genetic code began to multiply and begin to come, have different forms, then, then people were then min, uh, uh, migrated or they, they were minimized to the eight people that came off the ark after a global flood. So now we have eight people on the ark that now all also, they also have a variation of genetic code, but they're only 10 generations from the original come off the ark, and they multiply and begin to fill the earth with more population of people, okay? And then people begin to multiply and multiply, and then it leads to an event 
where everyone is speaking the same language at this event called the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, God was displeased with what people were doing there. That's a different story for a different day. But then God does something. God confuses the language, and he divides, and he scatters people groups all around the, the, the world from the Tower of Babel into different languages. Something unique happens here now. Now, with these people groups scattering by their languages, as God confused the language, now we have genetic gene pools being isolated into separate groups of people. So there is a kind of this group of people that share similar, similar similarities and differences, but now are isolated to a certain part of the earth. Now they are uh, intermarrying and they are, they are multiplying in numbers over here, while this, these people that share some other similarities and differences, they are over in this part of the earth where they are now multiplying and growing and their dominant genetic codes are becoming dominant and, uh, and likewise. And so at the Tower of Babel, when people separate, now we see these dominant traits beginning to grow based upon their places, based upon the gene pool, based upon their, their, those marriages and things multiplying in those areas. And, and so then it's still, biblically, we can understand the term race that is often used to classify people based mostly on physical appearances according to evolutionary ideas these so-called races descended from different ancestors separated by location and time. However, based on biblical history, the term race must be incorrect. Because there's one race. We are all one race. One blood, as it says in Acts 17.26. The human race descended from two ancestors, Adam and Eve, that, that had all the genetic code to make all the varieties that we have today. And how those varieties begin to, to spread around the earth and dominant traits begin to take place in different people. Now, does, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you mixing in my Kool-Aid, as we used to say? Are you, uh, what was the other phrase? Are you, maybe you're dipping in mustard, but you need to catch up. Tim didn't like that one. <laughs> biblically speaking, simply biblically speaking, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. All the variations of, gen of genetic code was in Adam and Eve. And it makes up all of us. It has taken its own course over time, all the variations. But we are not divided by race Biblically, we are one race. We are one race. And so the term race, biblically, is incorrect. We stand boldly and confidently on God's word and that we can correctly understand the unity and diversity of the human race. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Mankind. Um, and so I, I was recently talking with some friends of mine. Um, they're African American. They're, they, we, we would maybe people would refer to them as black and skin color. We were talking about faith and church and 
great conversation. And in, the, in our conversation, they asked me, they, they said, do you have people in your church that look like us? And I said, not enough. Not enough. And then they asked, why? Why do you say not enough? And I said, because it's simple. I want our church to look like heaven. Because this is what it says in Revelation. It it says, after this, I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in heaven, there will be every nation, tribe, and tongue, every variation, and it's one race, the human race. This is why I worry about the racist who believes in Jesus, but yet still hasn't been sanctified enough to see the error of their ways. And if they die and go to heaven someday, would it be heaven for them? Or would it be hell? Because they will be faced with every tribe, every nation, every tongue at the same table. You see, biblically, there's one race, the human race. Um, Over the summer, um, I recently had breakfast with a pastor in our community who pastors a predominantly black church, and he too is black, and uh, he, he also began to ask me the question, and he asked me, how many, he specifically asked, how many black people are in your church? And I said, not enough. And he said, why do you say not enough? I said, because I want my church to look like heaven. And I asked him, how many people in your church look like me? He said, very few, if any at all. You see, I, 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 I had breakfast with him because I learned about his long tenure in Kokomo, and I just wanted to hear, why do you love Kokomo? Tell me about our city. Tell, tell me about ministry in our, in our area. But this is where the conversation led, and he went on to tell me that in many ways, our community is growing in unity and in diversity, in many, many ways. But this is what the bishop told me. He said, Sunday is the most segregated day of the week in Kokomo. And I said, Bishop, I don't understand. He said, there's white churches and there's black churches. Listen, I don't want to be a white church. I don't want to be a black church. We want to be a biblical church that looks like heaven. Are you a white church or are you a black church? I wouldn't even put ourselves in either box, but our goal, our vision, is to look like heaven. One race, the human race, in its various forms, in its various flavors, heaven. All tribes, nations, and tongues. I want to look like heaven. 
Galatians 3, 26 says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who have For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. All. There's one race, the human race. Adam and Eve, not white. Jesus wasn't white. You and me, we're not white. This is white. We, we are all of some pigment of brown. Every one of us. Adam and Eve were middle brown. I'm brown. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lighter, I'm a, I'm a tan brown. Even those of you that might be pale, you're not, you're not this. You're brown. Our Hispanic brothers and sisters, that will, they'll start service in 40 minutes on the other side of the building. They're brown. Our, 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 our black brothers and sisters, they're brown. We're all brown, just different shades of brown, because we're one race. And all the genetic code that make all the variations came from Adam and Eve. So re- the idea of race is cultural, and it categorizes people, and it divides people, but the kingdom of God is countercultural. So our view of race has to shift. Our prejudice have to shift. It is, it is natural in our sinful nature to build prejudice against one another and categorize people. We are called to be countercultural in this kingdom and, and have unity, unity, and unity is different people worshiping the same God. All tribes and tongues. And you know what they're, they're all crying out in heaven? Salvation belongs to our God, every one of them. So the cultural categories that, that have caused divide through secularism, through Darwinism, have all aided into racism, but we should strive to have a biblical view of race, one race, the human race, while still having, at the same time, a sensitivity to the reality that the cultural racism of our day has hurt many people. So although we believe biblically one race, we also have to be sensitive that people have legitimately been hurt and have been prejudiced against simply because of the color of their skin. That is a real thing. There is real hurt. There's real history there. But, 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 we, but also biblically, we need to have a different kind of stance as well towards this. And, and, and th- that stance is that is to understand a little bit of the English language. That there are nouns and there are adjectives. For instance, a noun is a person, place, or thing. For instance, a bus is a noun. An adjective is a descriptive word that then modifies the noun. Bus. Yellow bus. I just modified the bus and made it yellow. Yellow bus, right? Christian. And those that say, I am a black Christian. But the race, skin color, adjective, now modifies the noun. But that's not biblical. Here's what's biblical. 
I'm the noun. Christian, the adjective. Here's what it does. Now I take all of my history, all of my cultural background, even my hurts and pains, and it's modified to Christian. All of my history, Christian. All of my background, Christian. So it's not black church, white church, this church, that church, race, Christian. No, no, no. We modify ourselves to Christian. But we keep, but we still have history. We still have culture, you see. Unity is different people worshiping the same God. We have to have sensitivity to those that have had prejudice against them and listen and learn. And here's what I want you to know, a few things. That one, racism is a sin. Racism is a sin. Racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And that's what we believe. Because we want to be biblical in our approach. Here's the Bible. James 2, verse 8 and 9. You will be doing right if you obey the law of the kingdom, which is found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you treat people according to their outward appearance, you are guilty of sin. And the law condemns you as a lawbreaker. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. Number two, racism is unjust. It violates basic human rights. Every person is sacred and equally valuable. Denying others their rights, their values, their freedoms because of race is just simply unjust. Racism denies the dignity and source of our humanity, which is rooted as we are all image bearers of God. Genesis 1.27, so he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Created them. And third, racism grieves the Lord. Grieves the Lord. It leads to separation of God's children from one another. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he writes this in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One. God's design was always for us to be one with him. And racism divides and harms children who are called to the same father. Now, Genetically speaking, get this, genetically speaking, we are 99.5% the same. All of us in this room, all of our brothers and sisters in the black community, in the Hispanic community, all of our Asian brothers and sisters, all over the world, all of humanity is genetically, you want to get into the science of it, genetically 99.5% the same. So why are we divided on a 0.5% difference, because that's culture. Why, why, why do we mistreat, why are we mistreated, or have prejudiced on a 0.5% difference? Because it's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Miles McPherson in his book, The Third Option, I highly recommend it, it says racism is what happens when we ignore the beauty in ourselves and in others. 
and throw away God's instruction on how to live and make up our own rules that result in dishonoring ourselves and others. You see, the ultimate response to race relations, the ultimate response to racism is biblical honor. It's to have honor for one another. In 2020, there was this event that took place in Minneapolis, you all remember it, where a man by the name of George Floyd was placed under arrest, and I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have seen the video. And it's hard to watch. George Floyd was placed under arrest. He was treated unfairly. And he passed away. He died right there on the street. And then, Minneapolis and many cities all across the nation burned to the ground. I believe that there was one element that was missing in this situation. This element will will help heal relationships and, and close great divides. And the simple element is the element of honor. And I believe that in that specific situation that has repeated itself too many times, that an officer can show honor and communities can show honor. And if honor were in place on both sides, here's what I know. I know that George Floyd didn't have to die and Minneapolis didn't need to burn if there was honor on both sides of the equation. So who's going to go first? Who's going to be first to honor? The first thing is that honor always sees the other's significance. Whether or not we disagree, I can disagree with you. You can even, be, you can even mistreat me. But deep down, if I have biblical honor... I need to be able to still see that there is value and significance to your life because you are an image bearer of God. We may not believe politically, religiously, but you are an image bearer. And honor sees one's significance. Every single person on earth is equally significant because we bear the image of God. And God's image cannot be removed Nothing, no one, no individual, or no law, no group of people, nobody can ever deny you because you look just like your father. You have the image of God. I remember when I grew up, we had a house phone. Y'all remember house phones? And as a kid, the phone would ring and I'd answer the phone. Hello, Galloways. And sometimes people would immediately go, hey, Grant. I would just need to talk to you about, I'm like, and they're just going, they're going. I'm like, well, wait, 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 wait. This isn't Grant. This is his son, Devin. I said, you sound just like your dad. Well, let me go get him. Has this ever happened to you? Or, or maybe, maybe you meet someone, and you're like, you look so familiar. Who's your dad? Oh, I know him. Come on in, yeah. Like, I'll take care of you, right? This is our approach people that even people we disagree with you look just like your father and I can honor that I can honor that you see and the second thing is mutual honor mutual honor when both parties have honor towards one another it always pulls us together and unifies honor why can't we all just get along says every parent ever you know why because one or both parties is lacking honor If both parties have honor, it always 
unites us and pulls us together. The more important question is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get along with others? More specifically, are you willing to do whatever it takes to love and honor your neighbors equally? Whether they have likenesses to you or not, they have the likeness of God, and they look just like our Father. So there is no stronger bond than two people mutually honoring one another. When married people come in my office because their relationship is facing trouble, I will tell you there's no powerful thing than when two people mutually honor one another. It'll unify and it will heal if you can honor one another. So the third thing, racial honor can reverse racial indifferences. Again, James chapter 2, if you keep the law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. Loving everyone in his image is important to God because it's loving God. Treating everyone equally matters. So sometimes it means you might have to deal with some prejudice in your heart. And remember, a prejudiced thought is a cultural thought. Because the kingdom of God, race is one race. We are all image bearers of our Father. And that's how we need to see the world. You look just like your Father. And I'm going to honor the image of God in you, even if there's indifferences between us. And we're going to connect the divide between the two. So again, we want to be a biblical church that looks just like heaven. Are you ready to be a biblical church that looks like heaven? Are you ready to pray the prayer, Lord, as it is in heaven? A biblical one. A biblical one. How exciting uncategorized, just biblical. Are you this or are you that? This color, that color, red, blue, left, right, biblical. The world wants to categorize people, but the kingdom unites us. Countercultural. Yeah, that, that's going to come to some tensions maybe, sure, because it's counterintuitive to the mainstream way of the world. A biblical one. Let's be biblical again. Let's have biblical love, biblical honor, and reverse the hurt that categorizing people based on outward looks has done. I want to be a biblical church that looks like heaven. Don't you? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? God, we just, uh, we allow you to be the potter and us just simply the clay. Just like you have molded and shaped every race and every skin color, Lord. But we also know that we are simply still all one big family. One race with one Father, with one God. And may we all cry out, God is our salvation. So Lord, we pray that we would look like heaven. Moreover, God, I pray that you would undo 
in our hearts the effects that culture has gotten into us. That maybe we have some prejudice that we need to confess and repent of. Maybe it would be uncomfortable for us. Whatever it is, we only want one thing. We don't want a a social agenda. We don't want a political agenda. We just want to be a biblical church with biblical honor. We want to look like heaven. Don't care what that means, as long as it's biblical. Lord, I pray for race relations in our community, that one day, Sunday won't be the most segregated day of the week, because we'll start looking like heaven. So Lord, we don't know what that means. We just trust that if we live according to your word, it's right. It's right, and it's whole, and it's healing. Would you heal race relations? Would you heal it, Lord, as the church moves forward in biblical ways, with honor, restorative power of your Holy Spirit? One big family, unity in diversity, that we would have what the Hebrew says, ichad. Unity in diversity. Just to look like you. But would you deal with any sin issue in us? Any prejudice in us? Because it grieves your heart. I pray in Jesus' name. We're going to sing one last song before we dismiss this morning. And Father, we just, we just take this moment just to give you worship. And as we do so, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts in ways that we could change. Ways that we need to lead differently. Give us a perspective to see all people with this thought in mind. You look just like your Father. In Jesus' name.